3-1 pitch, swing and a drive, deep to right field, way up there, way out of here, goodbye baseball. Eight Hit strikeouts it. for the King tonight and make it 23 consecutive scoreless innings for Felix. Strike three called on the outside corner and there it is. It's time for the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Kyle Seager, that just happened. Thank you very much. Now, here's your host, Gary Hill. Hey, welcome back. Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Ah, feels great. It feels great. 2017, the calendar has turned as we inch closer and closer to another baseball season. I guess we can call this the first one, the first podcast of this season. It's been a long time, too long, but here we go. We have a lot to cover. It has been a very busy offseason for the Mariners. We won't go daily yet on the podcast, but we'll work our way up there once the season starts. So these will be coming more frequently. And we will be covering in depth what has been a very busy offseason the next couple of weeks. In our first uh, podcast back, though, we're going to talk Edgar. It was a big, big day for Edgar Martinez. Not getting in the Hall of Fame, obviously, but taking a huge leap closer. Getting in the type of percentage range where it has become a very realistic scenario that Edgar Martinez will be a Hall of Famer either next year or the year after. Larry Stone's going to be here. We're going to talk about Edgar. Uh, Larry uh, obviously watched Edgar Martinez's career and is a Hall of Fame voter, so great conversation coming up. And it's the first one back, so obviously we're going to celebrate with Montage. I put together an Edgar Martinez piece, so we will have that. Also, the Mariners caravan has been zipping around the great Pacific Northwest. And Aaron Goldsmith, uh, long in-depth conversation with James Paxton, an excellent conversation. That comes up as well. So it is really great to be back. It has been a long, long time, but I am thrilled that we are starting once again. Spring, right around the corner. You wouldn't know it by the weather, but it's right around the corner. That means those beautiful words, pitchers and catchers, we can start to talk about. So thanks for being here once again. Thanks for another start to a beautiful baseball season. So here we go. Conversation first with Larry Stone. Well, now we get a chance to visit with the great Larry Stone. Larry, I think you're the perfect person to talk to after the Hall of Fame vote. Edgar didn't get in but got a big bump. How encouraged should Mariner fans be about the vote totals for Edgar Martinez this year? Well, I think they should be pretty encouraged. Uh, You know, I think 60% would have been a little bit better, but he was pushing that, and he made a huge jump for the second straight year. It's trending in the right direction for Edgar. Uh, There's a time crunch now. He's got two more times on the ballot. But I think that actually can be a benefit for him because, you know, as voters, I think, give a little closer look as a guy gets to the end of his time on the ballot because they know it's it's now or never. If you've been wavering on a guy, waiting to assess, you know, sometimes you, you – uh, make that step and give the guy the vote. I mean, Tim Raines was at 55% at a similar juncture with two years to go on the ballot, and he, he sailed in this year. Uh, I think there's a there's a pretty good chance that Edgar now is going to get in. If you'd asked me this uh, two years ago before the vote, I would have said he had really 
very slim chance of ever getting voted in uh, by the baseball writers. But now I've, I've changed that, and I think his chances are better than uh, you know 50-50 and probably 75-25 that he's going to get voted in. What do you think has been the major difference with how voters are looking at Edgar Martinez? Well, I have a few theories. Uh, first of all, one is that they're really not looking at him any differently. It's just that the ba- the ballot has opened up a little bit over the last couple of years. You know, there's a limit of 10 on the, that you get to vote for, and I think that Edgar was maybe 11 on a lot of ballots, and then uh, uh, four people went in two years ago, two went in last year, Alan Trammell went off the ballot. So people who maybe had Edgar 11 suddenly had room for him on the ballot. Uh, I think the... Uh, farewell tour of David Ortiz kind of heightened the attention that the DH got. And I think, you know, there's this feeling that Ortiz is going to sail into the Hall of Fame. And I think people, I think that reflected uh, sort of positively on Edgar because when people looked at his numbers compared to Ortiz, it looked a little more deeply than the than the 500-plus home runs that Ortiz has. They saw that Edgar's numbers are as good or better in a lot of ways than Ortiz. And, uh, you know, Edgar was a DH like Ortiz was, so I think I think that helped him. And I think there's just been a, a lot of, uh, I think there's been a lot of uh, endorsements and support of Edgar online. Various uh, analysts and writers have made pretty persuasive cases for him that I think have influenced people as well. Uh, so those are, the, those are the three main theories that I have. I've wondered, and there's no way to know this, obviously, I've, I've wondered if Edgar played now, if it would be a no-brainer when he got to the end of his career, simply because it feels like with what he did would be more appreciated now because of all the sabermetrics and everything else. I think so. I think he might have had an MVP yeah. in, a, in a different era with people looking at his statistics differently. Uh, you know, it would have helped if he'd gotten the starting job uh, two years <laughs> earlier when he was ready, probably, you know, his his cumulative stats would have been higher. I think that's held him back a little bit. I think there's people, I, I know there are, and I've talked to them who say, you know, if you're a DH, you have to be kind of above and beyond, and they're looking for things like 3,000 hits, which he, which he fell short of. He would have been a lot closer if he had started his career uh, earlier when, you know, he was held back by Jim Presley, Darnell Coles, and guys like that when, uh, you know, his, his numbers in AAA showed that he was ready. Any surprises for you with the voting this year? Uh, let's see. I I was a little surprised that Hoffman didn't get in. Mm. You know, he was, was real close. I thought that uh, I thought that he was going to get in. And, and Vlad Guerrero, uh, yeah. you know, I, I just – so I, I see a really strong Hall of Fame case for him, and I was surprised that he didn't go in on the first ballot. Um, and uh, those are the those are the biggest things that that jump out to me. Uh, I was happy to see Reigns and Bagwell go in, yeah. and Pudge. You know, I voted for all three of those. I think uh, Reigns and Bagwell in particular have uh, have been long overdue. Um, I, you know, Jorge Posada not. Uh, getting enough, the the 5% threshold to stay on the ballot was a little bit of a surprise. But then when you look at, when you look at how clogged the ballot has become, I guess it's, it sort of stands to reason. Uh, there's a lot of people in the baseball writers association who would like to see the ballot expanded to, you know, we, we proposed 12 to the hall of fame and they turned it down. Uh, 
So that's going to be an ongoing issue, I think, is the the, the desire to for, for a bigger ballot and whether or not the Hall of Fame is going to uh, give in to that. You're right. That would make a huge difference because I, I think it, I think logjam is is exactly what what has happened. I think you're absolutely right on Tim Raines. I, I think if you make a short list of the greatest leadoff hitters of all time, he's you know after Ricky Henderson, he's in that discussion. It's just surprise that he hasn't been pushed over the top earlier. Yeah, I, I you know there's been some. Some re- really persuasive cases made on his behalf. I mean, he had 70 steals, yeah. I think five seasons in a row. On base percentage is tremendous. He got on base uh, more times, more cumulative times on base than Tony Gwynn, who won eight batting titles. So when you when you when you really look at his stats, it's it's you. I, I think he was hurt by the comparisons to to Ricky Henderson yeah. because no no one is another Ricky Henderson, and so you know if. He, Henderson was a preeminent leadoff man. Reigns was was in the ballpark, but because he wasn't Ricky, I think that that hurt him. Larry, I, I love baseball history. I love the game, and I'm, part of me is very envious of what you get to do: vote for Hall of Famers and put a stamp on baseball history. At the same time, I think this is the most difficult era of voting there has been. How do you approach? your Hall of Fame vote. <laughs> well, you're right. You know, uh, when I first got the vote, I've been voting now over 20 years. Yeah. And I remember having a debate with my sports editor who had also covered baseball. This was in San Francisco. And our debate was over Don Sutton. And I thought he was a Hall of Famer. And my boss didn't. And, you know, we had a spirited argument. And it was all about performance and baseball stats and, and stuff. And that was really fun. Now, flash forward 20 years and and the debates are, should you put this guy in Did he uh, because he used steroids or because he didn't use steroids or he might have used steroids? And that's not a fun debate. Yeah. So, I mean, that's been the biggest that's that's been the biggest change. And that's what's made it such a headache is you've got, you know, first one was McGuire, uh, then then Sosa and then Bonds and, and Clemens. Uh, you know, all uh, sparking furious debates about whether they get in or not or deserve to be in. And then guys like Piazza and Bagwell and Pudge, who all have some kind of, you know, innuendo surrounding them. So it's really, really hard. I, you know, I've voted for, I've voted for Bonds and Clemens every time they've been on the ballot, which angers a lot of people. And I guess, other people who support me <laughs> just a quick aside that's the that that's the funny thing to me is is everyone thinks the hall of fame voting system is screwed up and 50 percent will tell you it's because bonds and clemens aren't in and 50 percent <laughs> will tell you it's because bonds and clemens are getting too much support so you know you those everyone who thinks that there's a better system you're still going to have that fundamental disagreement about guys like that and there's no system in the world that's going to change that um so uh, but that said, I still love it. Uh, I still treasure it and try to honor it with, with my, you know, by taking it extremely seriously. Yeah, I guess that's the other big change from when you first started to vote is the instant reaction you get the, the moment you put your ballot out there with Twitter and everything else. I imagine that has changed things a little bit as well. <laughs> changed things a lot, Gary. <laughs> I mean, Twitter, Twitter, Twitter. Not only did Twitter not exist, uh, you know, the internet when I first started was, you know, it was there, but it wasn't in the mainstream. I certainly wasn't using it in uh, 
1995 or so when I started voting. Uh, and now, yeah, uh, there's instant reaction, instant analysis. And not only that, you have this, uh, this website that uh, this gentleman out in Oakland, Ryan Thibodeau, runs, which, which he scours the Internet uh, to find every ballot as it's published or tweeted or blogged or whatever, or uh, he even solicits some. Some people just email them straight to him, and so you get a running vote total, which really changes the way uh, I like it. It, 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 You get a really good idea of how guys are trending. That's how I first got uh, clued into the fact that Edgar was making a big jump was by looking at at his uh, Hall of Fame tracker. And, you know, three weeks ago, it became clear that he he was getting more uh, of a boost than anybody. So uh, I kind of like watching it in real time. Next year, uh, there's going to be a really important change that was voted in by the baseball writers this year in that, in that everybody has to reveal their vote. Uh, so total transparency. So, um, you know, if that had happened last year, I think Ken Griffey Jr. would have gone in unanimously yeah. because the three people who still haven't revealed themselves who didn't vote for Jr. Uh, will, no longer, will no longer be able to hide behind that. And so there will be a unanimous person. Now, my guess is the first unanimous person will be Derek Jeter when he comes on the ballot in three years. No, I think you're right. I think it changes everything with it being so public. No, you're you're right about that. So before you go, Larry, uh, Mariners have had a very busy offseason, obviously. What are your general impressions of what the Mariners have done so far? Well, uh, you know, I liked – I thought they were short in the rotation department after they had made a a bunch of moves, and so I like the smiley pickup. Uh, To me, it's still going to come down to how the rotation comes together. you know, Segura will boost the lineup, no question about that. But, uh, you know, it costs Taiwan Walker, who I, you know, I'm still a Taiwan believer. I still think he's on the verge of really putting it together and becoming a dominant pitcher. Um, they need Paxton to take that step this year. They need Felix to make a big comeback. Uh, but, I, you know, I, 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 I think they sort of strengthen themselves in some, some small some small ways. Uh, um you know, boost, boosting the bullpen a little bit, the depth, that sort of thing. Uh, I, I, I'm just waiting to see how the how the rotation comes together. Yeah. Well, we are getting closer and closer to spring training. Hearing hearing your voice reminds us that baseball is right around the corner. <laughs> so, thank you, Larry. Certainly appreciate the time. We'll talk again soon. My pleasure. Anytime, Gary. Thank you. And John Wetland one more time set, and here comes the 2-2 pitch to Edgar Martinez now, and the fastball swung on and hit the deep center field. Bernie Williams goes back, and it is! Get out the right bread and the mustard this time, Grandma! It is a grand salami! And the Mariners lead it 10-6! The great Edgar Martinez. Spent 18 years in the major leagues, putting together a stellar big league career, all with one team, the Seattle Mariners. And now the Hall of Fame voting community catching up to what Seattle Mariner fans already knew. And now Anderson has set the pitch to Edgar. Swung on, line drive, base hit, right center field. He's unbelievable. He is muchísimo caliente, Edgar Martinez. Two American League batting titles, three American League on-base percentage titles, five Silver Slugger Awards, five Designated Hitter of the Year Awards, 
and seven All-Star Game appearances. At the pitch, swung on and belted deep to center field. Bernie Williams looks up, and this will fly, fly away. Edgar Martinez has just given the Mariners a 5-2 lead. The numbers are incredible. A 300-plus batting average, a 400-plus on base percentage, 300-plus home runs, 500-plus doubles, and 1,000-plus base on balls. When Edgar Martinez retired, only Stan Musial, Rogers Hornsby, Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, and Ted Williams finished as high in every category. He was such a tough at-bat. If you made any mistake, he really crushed you. And if you executed your pitch, he would only get a single. So it's like... Uh, and I'm not the only guy. There's a lot of guys that uh, we're, we all raise our hands, especially the lefties. You know, Edgar was just a very difficult uh, guy to, for us to face. Former teammate and foe, Mark Langston. The pitch on the way to Martinez. Swung on and belted. Deep to left field. It will And longtime big league pitcher Bill Kruger sums up the importance of Edgar Martinez. When you step across the field and you're on the opposing team, this is a great litmus test. Is that you could go through the Rodriguez's and the Buners and the Tino Martinez's and the Kenny Griffey's. The guy they were most worried about was Edgar Martinez. He was the one that they feared with runners in scoring position. Edgar Martinez defined the position of designated hitter. So much so the award for best designated hitter every season is now the Edgar Martinez Award. Because of your record on this night, the designated hitter award for the American League will be forever be named the Edgar Martinez Award. Congratulations. And the man who has won the most Edgar Martinez Awards, David Ortiz, he knows where Edgar belongs. To me, he should be Hall of Famer. He should be inducted in the Hall of Fame a while ago. It, it will happen regardless. I, I, I hope so. And it made me proud, you know, just the fact that uh, they kind of uh, uh, compare my name to uh, an amazing uh, uh, player like, like Edgar used to be. And Edgar was meticulous with his craft. He was the first guy I ever saw that actually had a scale in his locker to weigh each individual bat. I've never seen that before, but it had to be 31 ounces on the button or it was a batting practice bat. One of the things I thought was really impressive is the first time I watched him take live batting practice with a donut on his bat. The eye exercises that he used to do in front of his locker, I don't know, a lot of people don't know it, but he had some issues with his eyes, and so he had to strengthen the muscles to, to be able to control it at all times in the game. So he would have to sit there before games and do these eye exercises that he was religious about it. Edgar, his on-base percentage of 418 is the fourth highest all-time for right-handed hitters. Edgar, the greatest right-handed hitter I've ever played with. And of course, he authored a signature moment in Mariners history and Major League Baseball playoff history with the double. And the 0-1 pitch on the way to Edgar Martinez. Swung on the line down the left field line for a base hit. Here comes Joy. Here is Junior to third base. They're going to wave him in. The throw to the plate will be late. The Mariners are going to play for the American League Championship. And 
perhaps the only thing that matches his greatness on the field, his greatness off the field. The winner of the 2004 Roberto Clemente Award, the fabulous Martinez Foundation, his connection to the Pacific Northwest as he played every game in a Mariners uniform. Edgar Martinez, one of the all-time greats. So perhaps Edgar has passed our way for the last time. And listen. What a fantastic tribute to a fantastic man. And here is Aaron Goldsmith with James Paxton. Well, James, this is a pretty fun, unique setting for an interview, isn't it? We are on the Mariners Caravan Charter Bus. We are heading north of I-5. We're heading towards the homeland for you, aren't we? We sure are, yep. Just uh, just past exit 226. <laughs> <laughs> so if anybody can hear the gentle purr, purr of the uh, bus in the background, it's uh, for good reason. Hey, well, this has been a big off-season for you, James. Some wedding bells for you in November. Your, your beautiful bride, Katie, can you... Can you tell us a little bit about the wedding? Yeah, it was great. We uh, really enjoyed it. It was in Laguna Beach, uh, California, kind of a mini destination thing. We didn't want to do the Hawaii thing or Mexico, but uh, my family being mostly in Vancouver and hers of Wisconsin, uh, we figured that Laguna would be kind of a cool place for them to make it a bit of a uh, vacation kind of thing. And it turned out to be great. It was 85 degrees, and everyone was on the beach and in the water swimming before the wedding and everything, so it was perfect. Now, who we might know, Mariners related, that is, were, were either in your wedding or at your wedding? Uh, Brandon Maurer was uh, one of my groomsmen. Uh, I mean, did, he, did, did Brandon have a speech? Did he give a speech at all? He did not. He uh-huh. did not have a speech. That would have no. been a great speech. <laughs> I know. He was great, though. We had a lot of fun, and uh, Taiwan Walker was there, actually, yeah. also. Very yeah. nice. So now that you've got a, a big part of your personal life out of the way and uh, kind of beginning to turn a little bit towards baseball, uh, last year was an incredible season for you in so many ways, and uh, we, we saw a big transformation for James Paxton a season ago. And I know this is something that we talked about last year with this new release point of yours. Can you talk us through kind of numerically where your release point was prior to last year and, and where it was at the end of the season? Well, going into spring training, um, my release point had gotten really high for some reason. I was My hand was up around like seven feet and about a foot uh, kind of off center from my head. And um, we just found out that I was throwing from a place of weakness and it was just a not a smooth delivery. So um, we made the adjustment of moving my hand over so I got to about two feet off of the, my center from my head. And my arm came down to about six five, six six, and I was just, I was able to keep my eyes level, which uh, really helped kind of my body just move the way it was supposed to. Now, now, what do you mean by that? Keep your eyes level. Well, when you when you're pitching and you kind of bring your arm up to a certain height, at some point your head's going to start uh, leaning, and your eyes are going to be kind of on an angle. 
So for me, getting my eyes level and keeping my arm where my eyes could stay level, I was able to repeat my delivery better and also just see where I wanted to throw the ball better. And can you take us back kind of the, the genesis of all this? Because obviously you had some very good success in your major league career from this previous arm angle, uh, this over-the-top delivery. Uh, but then in spring training last year, your velocity appeared to be down, although it's kind of tough to tell in Arizona because of the radar guns that aren't all over the place like they are in the major leagues. But at, at some point through various conversations, this became uh, an apparent switch for you that you, it seemed like took to pretty quickly. Yeah, it was really weird how it happened. You know, I was really struggling, um, didn't feel right out there. Um, I think I was always pretty high, but I don't think I was quite as high as I was in spring training last year. And uh, we made the change just because when they asked me to try going down a little lower, um, the ball just came out so much easier um, when I went down to the lower uh, arm slot. And it just felt so easy, um, kind of my arm moving through my delivery. So we figured that we'd just give that a try and see how it went. And you saw how, how the ball came out after we made that adjustment. And it was almost immediate. So it was one of those things where something just kind of clicked. And what would you define your arm slot right now? I'd say it's probably a three-quarters. Okay. Um, you know, I'm not low by any means, but um, I think I got too low at one point last offseason because – Going from such a high arm slot to a lower one, I had I actually felt like I was throwing sidearm, sure. but I really wasn't. And so the more I did it, the lower it got because I that feeling of throwing sidearm, I actually got closer to that sidearm, and the ball got flat. Uh, so I needed to bring it back up just a little bit to that three-quarter area. Where and this I is had, during the season, you're saying? During the season, yeah, okay. yeah, and that's where I had my most success. Now, I've seen pictures of you from college in your Kentucky days, and you were you were kind of a sidearm guy, weren't you? I was, yeah. I I was more sidearm than I am now, I would say. Really? Um, yeah, I've kind of found a really happy middle ground for myself that I'm really comfortable with. Now, we saw you even with your previous arm angle. I mean, you, you could touch triple digits. You certainly could touch 97. And but the velocity, James, that we saw with this three-quarter arm angle that you were working with. I mean, it is unlike anything in the game. I mean, Araldus Chapman pumps 100 miles an hour consistently from the left side, but there, there isn't another starter in baseball right now who's lefty, who's a lefty who's throwing consistently as hard. Is it tough to not fall in love with the velocity when you know that you've got it and you see it up on the radar gun? Yeah, you know, one thing about the big leagues is no matter how hard you, how hard you throw, at some point these guys are going to time it up because they're just that good. The, the velocity allows me some room for error when I do mix my pitches um, well. You know, when I have that change of velocity between my change up and my curveball and my fastball, it gives me more room for error when I do throw my fastball. Um, so it was really a good thing for me, and... Yeah, the ball was just coming out so so easily, and being able to keep my velocity throughout the game really uh, really was nice to have. And how did you feel like your secondary pitches adjusted to this new arm angle as well? It took some time. Um, as you saw, the curveball wasn't really right when I first came up. I was throwing a lot of uh, cutters um, that were moving more like sliders. And by the end, my curveball had come back, and it was really useful um, and I since I got the chance to throw my cutter so much um, when the curveball wasn't working I felt like that was just another pitch that just took a, a leap forward for me so now having the curveball and the cutter working really well is going to be 
you know, really nice to have those two weapons along with the changeup that we're working on, and uh, I feel like it's getting a lot better too. Now, when you say we're working on it, one of those guys you're working alongside, Mel Stottlemyre Jr., your pitching coach now for the second straight year, and I know uh, during this offseason you had a chance to to get out and do what looked like some very cold fishing with Mel and his uh, fishing out outfit. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, it was the uh, the fundraiser uh, thing for the Stoudemire's in Orofino, Idaho. It was a great opportunity. Really loved it. Uh, it was freezing. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I got all bundled up, and Mel warned me that it was going to be really cold, so I brought tons of layers. Uh, the first day I was still pretty cold. I didn't layer up enough. The second day I felt like the Michelin man. I had all kind. <laughs> I had like seven layers on, but I stayed warm. And it was, it was a ton of fun. I kind of caught the bug for fishing. Did you really? Um, I really did, yeah. It's something I did a lot when I was younger um, with, my, with my grandfather. Um, but since I've been busy in the summers, I haven't really had a chance. But this was my first time doing the casting. And uh, it took me the first day, it was a little bit uncomfortable. But by the time the second day came around, I was casting a lot better. And uh, it, was, it was tons of fun. We caught, I caught one fish the, uh, the first day and then seven the second day. What? So, yeah, everyone was just shocked at how many fish I brought in the second day. I was, obviously, I was shocked too, but it was so much fun to bring those fish up. It was, it was a great time. Now, I saw you, was that a steelhead that I saw you holding? It was. It was a steelhead. Um, really good fighters, actually. It was, it was fun to reel them in. Um, I think my biggest fish was uh, 35 and a half inches, which was, you know, Real. pretty good sized fish. Oh, yeah. yeah. Now, compare and contrast Mel, the pitching coach, and Mel, the fishing coach. <laughs> Yeah, well, pitching coach, Mel's great. Uh, I really like working with him. Um, you know, he's very knowledgeable and, you know, puts in a lot of time. He really cares about us and wants us to be successful. Um, fishing, I actually didn't fish with Mel. He put me with one of his other guys. Uh, so I was with another guide of his that was great. Um, him and his deckhand were awesome. They really did a great job of uh, making sure we were having a good time getting us to the right spots and the second day we just killed it with the fish so <laughs> we actually won the whole the whole oh, really? tournament uh, which is really cool so we'll have the guys that i was fishing with with uh out to a game this year and uh, we got them all jerseys and oh cool yeah they'll do the whole diamond club experience so that'll be a lot of fun uh, but it, it was it was really cool hey james man it's always great to catch up with you congrats on getting married it's fantastic news and uh, hey we're going to be going to your elementary school tomorrow so we're looking forward to that as well it's good to be on the caravan with you yeah, it's going to be great. Uh, it's going to be weird to uh, see uh, Hawthorne Elementary, uh, you know, 20 years later. Um, Will they be unveiling a statue, a James Paxton statue tomorrow, James? I highly doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> but it'll, it'll be really cool. I'm looking forward to it. It'll be fun to talk to the kids that are there now. See you later!